أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد So the next two chapters of the book are very simply put they describe pathways to the heart so we talked about the heart being the The heart being the spiritual organ of where intentions emanate from. They, they begin from there and then they spread out through the rest of the ruh. Uh, and the ruh, it's different faculties, the faculty of cognition and other faculties that, that, the, that the ruh has. And uh, uh, from there then it spreads out to the body and causes the body to do things. So just like the qalb is the origin of the origin of what a person wants to do uh, and, and the, the origin of the process of having those things uh, executed. Just like that, there are inroads to it as well. Uh, the communication process goes two ways. And so we talked about this, that for the purpose of the subject of tasawwuf and even the terminology of uh, of the the kitab and the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam just like physically you have limbs right you have arms and legs they're extensions of your body uh, just like that uh, the heart has limbs but they're not limbs in the conventional sense so when we talk about limbs we're not necessarily only talking about hands and feet but we're talking about all of those extensions of the heart that are the spiritual inroads for uh, influence happening on the heart. So the idea is if the heart is sound, uh, the whole rest of the person surrounding them, physical and spiritual, is sound. And if the heart is corrupted, then everything else is also corrupted. Uh, so if you want to keep your heart sound, you have to guard the limbs of the heart like a medieval city, fortified city that has separate gates and those gates are guarded. Old cities used to have gates. So for example, if you're in Jerusalem and you go to the Damascus gate, that's the road that takes you to Damascus. There's a gate that, you know, that takes you to Baghdad, etc., etc. And uh, those are the only places you can easily enter into the city from. So the, the limbs of the heart are uh, that what we're going to talk about in the next two chapters regarding the limbs of the heart and the commandment of Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to do that, and uh, what the effects are uh, on a person uh, when they guard the limbs of the heart and when they fail to do so. قَالَ تَعَالَى قُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَغُضُّ مِنَ بِصَارِهِمْ Surah Al-Nur وَقَالَ تَعَالَى إِنَّ السَّمْعَ وَالْبَصَرَ وَالْفُؤَادَ كُلُّ أُولَائِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولًا وقال تعالى يعلم خائنة الأعين وما تخفي الصدور وقال تعالى إن ربك لبالمرصاد الله مستحيل says in his book in in his book in Surah An-Nur say to the believer believing men to lower their gazes and he gives a similar commandment to the believing women why because out of all the human senses the limbs of the heart are not limited to the senses, but they include the senses. Out of all of the human senses, uh, a person's sight is the most critical. Uh, there are certain animals that have very poor eyesight, but they compensate by having a keen sense of smell or hearing or whatever. Uh, but for a human being, I think losing the, 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 the sense of sight would be the most uh, detrimental and is definitely the one that has the most impact on people. So Allah Ta'ala says... Uh, say to the say ya Muhammad والسلام, to the believers to lower their lower their gazes. Um, this is something I don't know. People have a, a type of awkwardness with this because it's not normal in uh, in the society we live in for a person to lower their gaze from looking at somebody that they're not supposed to look at, um, and I, it's something that that people find awkwardness. I find no awkwardness with it because the command of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, so uh, lowering your, your gazes is uh, something that you not only do out of respect for other people, but more importantly you do out of, uh, 
out of as an act of spiritual self-preservation that uh, a person their gaze is very you know the eyesight is very powerful not just because you need it to like be able to get around because you know I can't just close my eyes and like a dolphin echolocation figure out what's going on around me there actually I've heard people who are blind actually have very keenly cultivated sense of hearing to the point that they can actually like perceive objects in front of them by uh, by echolocation i find that very incredible uh, uh and very very uh very amazing but most people aren't able to do things like that but more more importantly than that look uh your eyesight we appreciate what it what it does for you physically we don't appreciate what our aqidah teaches us that it does for you uh, spiritually so what's the highest maqam after nubuwa in this ummah that a person can have? Anyone? Who are, who, like, you know, which category of people have the highest maqam in this ummah after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? The sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. You could be, you could be like, you could be like, uh, like uh, Ibn Hajar Ghazali and, and, you know, in your ilm, and you can be Abdul Qadir Jailani, Naqshbandi, in your, your tasawwuf, and you could be everything. You'll never, you'll never uh, touch or see or taste or smell their maqam. It's so far away. Now, what is a deed that a person did that makes them a sahaba, a sahabi? And this is actually a subtle point because this is an influence of tasawwuf on tasawwuf on hadith science. People don't think about this. What is it? What is it that makes a person a sahabi? There's discussions with regards to this. So Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar, as my colleague uh, uh, and friend Mulana Bilal Ansari in Chicago is keen to point out on many occasions, Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar and many of the muhaddithun they had this idea that not everyone who accepted Islam at the time of the Prophet ﷺ is a sahabi, and that some of the muhaddithin said no, someone who, to consider them a sahabi, he has to have spent you know a certain amount of time with the Prophet sallallahu etc etc. But that's completely not accepted opinion by the majority of the ummah. The majority of the ummah say what? To be a sahabi, you have to have been a Muslim, died on Islam, and, and had the Prophet sallallahu either see you or you see him. The reason they say that. It's uh, you see the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's intuitive because if a person doesn't see the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, how can he be a companion of his? Some of the ulama say that there are some of the Sahaba radiallahu taala anhum who are blind, like uh, Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum radiallahu taala anhum. So the fact that he couldn't see the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, rationally, it doesn't take away from him being companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw, saw him. And the idea is either way, just having seen one another, it does something to a person, it changes them. Now, if the sight of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, or the sight of uh, uh, somebody from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is enough to do so much change to a person's maqam, uh, this is sufficient proof that your uh, eyesight wasn't made for watching TV, and it wasn't made for watching stupid YouTube videos, and it wasn't made for looking at the haram. Uh, rather, you have other things to do that are better than that, and uh, uh, you have, uh, you know, you you use you use your eyesight wisely uh, to your benefit, or you waste it to your detriment. And Allah Taala forgive all of us. Um, and the third the third ayah that I read, Allah Taala He also says. In, 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 in his book he says Allah Ta'ala he knows who is treacherous uh, in their eyesight and he knows the secret that the hearts cover up they conceal and uh, this is something when a person reads this they should fear Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, because a person can literally steal a glance at so many things and nobody else will ever know but Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows uh, and this is something that a person should constantly be aware of. And uh, there's a lot to say about this. There's a lot to say about this issue. Um, and uh, I fear that if we delve into it in too much detail, then we're going to become very, very far behind in our um, in our discussion. But needless to say, the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's one of the first hadith of Sahih Muslim. 
that uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written in his qadr uh, that everybody will be afflicted with a certain amount of zina. And the zina of the eyes is to look, and the zina of the ears is to listen, and the zina of the hands is to touch, and uh, etc. And then afterward he says that the, the private parts of a person will either uh, verify the intention uh, that a person has, or it will, uh, will, will negate it. It will say, no, this is not a path that I want to go down. And uh, this, is a, uh, this hadith is a very clear a very clear uh, indica- indication by Rasulullah of the scheme that the heart it has all of these pathways that a person uh, uh, that a person has to guard uh, uh, to get to that heart, and if a person doesn't guard them, then ultimately uh, uh, you know the city will surrender, it will capitulate uh, to something that's 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 not good, that will rob a person of their their uh, salvation or their uh, admissibility to Jannah uh, and the admissibility to Allah Ta'ala's rida that He should be pleased with them. Allah Most High uh, said in Surah Al Isra that indeed the hearing and the sight and the heart, all of these things will be asked about on the Day of Judgment. And Allah Most High uh, said in His book, He says, Indeed, your Lord lies in wait, meaning an ambush is what? It's where uh, there's a threat to you. And that threat sees you, but you don't see the threat. So a person should fear Allah Ta'ala with regards to these things. وعن أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إياكم الجلوس في الطرقات قالوا يا رسول الله ما لنا من مجلسنا بد نتخذ فيها سوري نتحدث فيها فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فإذا أبيتم إلا المجلس فأعطوا الطريق حقه قال وما حق الطريق يا رسول الله قال غض البصر سوري غض البصر وكف الاذى ورد السلام والامر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر متفق عليه this is a typo if someone has a pen uh, right here it says قال غض غض البصر should be قال غض البصر with a dhamma on the uh, on the dad not a not a fatha Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala who narrated that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said that uh, I warn you with regards to uh, sitting in the pathways that people come and go. So like people, for example, they sit in cafeterias or they or cafes and like you see the people, they do like people, what they call people watching, people coming and going. Uh, um, and so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa warned a person about that. He said, the companions asked, O Messenger of Allah, we have no other choice but to sit in uh, in those places along the pathways. And so not everybody has the luxury of having their own home in the old days, pre, you know, not even just pre-modern times, even, even nowadays, if somebody has a small, uh, a small domicile and a number of people living there, you have like a family of seven in a two-bedroom apartment or something like that, which is not, I mean, it still happens, it's not as frequent, but um, it happens, uh, especially in other places in the world. You don't have you don't have any place where you can sit except for in a public place. So the Sahaba radiAllahu anhum, some of them they said, "Oh, Messenger of Allah, we have no other choice but to sit in our places uh, along the pathways." Uh, he said that's where we converse with one another. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "If you refuse to not sit there, then give the pathway its right." They asked, "What is the right of the pathway, O Messenger of Allah?" He said, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to lower your gaze." And hold back from causing people harm, and to return the salams of people, and to command that which is right, and forbid that which is evil. So don't be like New York City, where you just walk around someone getting mugged or whatever. Uh, rather, <laughs> be helpful people. If something good is happening, help in that good. And if something bad is happening, then uh, then then participate in, in stopping that bad from happening. And a similar hadith on Sayyidina Abi Talhati Zaid ibn Sahlin, رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كنا قعودا بالأفنية نتحدث فيها فجاء رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقام علينا فقال ما لكم والمجالس ومجالس السعدات ما لكم ولمجالس السعدات اجتنبوا مجالس السعدات فقلنا إنما قعدنا لغير ما ما بأس قعدنا نتذاكر ونتحدث قال إما فأدوا إما لا فأدوا حقها غض البصر ورد السلام وحسن الكلام رواه مسلم الصعودات والصعودات بضم الصاد والعين أي الطرقات أبو طلحة 
Zayd bin Sahal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was the stepfather, he was the stepfather of Anas bin Malik. Anas bin Malik, his, uh, 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 mashallah, his uh, uh, mother, she was a, uh, a, a noble woman of the Ansar, and a very beautiful woman, and a woman that was very sought after. And Abu Talha proposed marriage to her. Except for Anas bin Malik's mother, Umm Sulaim, she had accepted Islam. And Abu Talha, he was the wealthiest man in all of Medina. And he hadn't accepted Islam yet. And so she said, no, I'm, not, I'm never going to marry you. And uh, so he's like dejected. He doesn't really know why he got, you know, he got shut down so hard. So then he hears this person came from Mecca and like, you know, this woman respects him a lot. So he had common sense. He went and talked to her, uh, talked to him to see like what's going on. So Rasulullah explained to him about Islam, gave him da'wah. And he's like, wow, that makes sense. That's, that's, that's a pretty good deal. I'm, I'm down, you know. And then he became a Muslim. And then he proposed marriage to Umm Sulaim, and then they got married. And uh, uh, Anas bin Malik praises him that he was, he, he, you know, he was good to me as a stepfather, um, and he was one of the most, uh, he was one of the most beloved companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The uh, 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 ayah of Surah Ali Imran, "Lantanalul birra hatta tunfiqu ma tuhibun," you won't uh, attain piety until you spend from that which you love. Uh, 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 the hadith indicates that the first person to have made amal, the first person to actually have acted on that, that ayah is uh, Abu Talha and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa praised him for that. So next time, if someone, someone, you know, people like in their gossip and whatever, they badmouth people, say, oh, so-and-so just became Muslim to marry whatever sister, uh, then you know there's a nadir from that, from the sahaba radiallahu anhum. Uh, so don't, don't mock them or dog them for that. Uh, what? Which one of you became Muslim or practices Islam out of genuine conviction? Right. So everyone should just be thankful for what Allah gave them. At any rate, uh, Abu Talha Zayd bin Sahal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrated, we were sitting in front of our homes talking when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa came and stood over us. And he said, why must you sit by the roads? Avoid sitting by the road. So this is something Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, approve of just hanging out in public. It's it's not haram because he didn't absolutely forbid he didn't absolutely forbid it, but he considered it makruh. He said, if you don't have a need to do so, it's better to sit inside of your homes than to sit in public places. But uh, 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 and there's exceptions. A rule just because a rule has exceptions doesn't mean that the rule is uh, any less correct. This is the rule. There may be exceptions, uh, um, and this is something that that causes me all sorts of grief because. People always, their mind wants to fixate on exceptions. So I'll say, you know, for example, okay, in a Muslim gathering, the men and women should be separated. Well, we go to university and that's mixed. We have go to work and that's mixed. These things are all like, these things are all like exceptions in, in, in the sharia to the rule. Uh, as far as the uh, university is concerned, that's not your choice anyway. If a Muslim ran a university, I would give fatwa also as haram for, for uh, uh, you know, for them from out of their own choice to... Uh, um, to not separate men and women in the in the seating, but since it's not your choice and you're not going to get a job making a decent living by you know coming to my classes about spirituality, then okay, go go university, get a degree, things like that, lower your gaze and get through it. But the idea is this is just because, or for example, people have to make a livelihood. So if somebody has a shop, right, uh, uh, they sell. They they sell whatever they the you know the Seven Eleven next door you know you say okay I don't sell alcohol and cigarettes or like whatever but like you know that's my my shop you cannot make a separate shop for 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 men and women it's not logistically possible so that's an exemption in those cases you cope with those things you know by doing things like lowering your gaze and by behaving uh, uh, behaving with some you know different uh, uh, level of decorum and adab than you would have had it just been uh, uh, people of your own gender but at any rate. Uh, the exception doesn't teach you about the rule. The exception exists for other reasons. Uh, so Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, however, both these hadiths they indicate the rule that he wasn't super, you know super fond of people just hanging out in public places when there's no need to or or when there's no compelling reason. But at the same time, it's not haram when there is some reason to do so. Uh, so he said sallallahu alaihi wasallam, why must you sit by the roads? You should avoid sitting by the road. We said we're only sitting here in a matter manner that causes no harm. We sit and we remind one another, uh, meaning what? 
that, that, that they enjoy one another to uh, good talk. It's not that like they're just hanging out wasting time. They're discussing something with regards to Dean. Uh, 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 and we, 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 we tell good things to one another uh, uh, in, in this majlis. So Rasulullah wasallam said, if you refuse uh, giving up sitting here, then give the road its right. And so again, in both, hadith, in both hadiths, what's the first right that the public place has that he mentioned? Lowering your gaze. Uh, uh, lowering your gaze. Um, and literally, I swear to God, like I see these things on social media. People who, mashallah, amass great numbers of followers and, and, and uh, uh, friends and likes and all this other stuff. And they say, Islam doesn't teach you to like awkwardly look at the floor when you're talking to someone of the other gender. Well, I guess lowering your gaze, the expression seems to indicate that it does literally mean looking at the floor. I agree that you shouldn't be awkward and you should try to not, you should try to not make it a bigger deal than it actually is because in doing so, you're actually going to cause the opposite effect of what you needed to. But at the same time, this is our tradition also that you don't, uh, uh, you know, that you don't mock what the literal wording of what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, which is to lower your gaze, you look down. Uh, 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 and so I've seen this before that, that people, I don't know, for some reason they have a hard time getting a grip with this because perhaps culturally it's not a normal practice amongst the people that we live. Uh, and culturally Islam doesn't force you to, for example, wear a turban and you know, it doesn't force you to do a number of things that are, uh, you know, mukhalafa or or um, go against what the, the 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 culture of your people are, except for certain things that it does, uh, and this is one of those things. This is one of those things. So if you don't want to walk around in university with a miswak in your hand, that's your choice. This is something that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. Fine, don't sit in public. Okay, if you need to sit in public, you can. There's some exception there. But even in that exception, still you have to what? Uh, 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 lower your gaze, return salam, and be good in your speech. Once in the Jaririn radiallahu ta'ala anhu, qala, sa'altu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam anil nazar al-faj'ah, faqala, israf basarak, rawahu muslim. Sayyidina Jarir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, I met, asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about that, that glance that happens suddenly and unexpectedly. This happens that a person can be, mashallah, lowering their gaze as much as they want to. Obviously, at some point, you have to see, is it red light, green light? Is it this or that? or the, You know, there's a, you know, and you'll, you'll, it's not just about the other gender, by the way. Watching haram is haram. Right, watching if you're like a police officer, you have to like watch, you know, like a robbery in order to stop it. Right, that's an exception, but the rule is what you know. Watching haram is haram. You know, someone might say that, okay, fine, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I don't condone, I don't drink myself. But you watch a TV show in which people are uh, getting drunk. This is also this is also a sin. If they're actually getting drunk, it's video video of them actually getting drunk. It's a sin because you're. Uh, uh, you know, you're uh, passively accepting what they did, and if they're acting like it, it's also a sin because you're at least accepting the idea as something that's not doesn't bother you. Uh, whereas it should bother you, and you, just watching someone else do the deed, it that 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 is enough to what drink poison into the heart, as the uh, the the vision is also one of the limbs of the heart. So he said. I asked Rasulullah with regards to seeing something that I shouldn't have seen suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, uh, he said, if, you, if that happens, just look away. If that happens, uh, just look away. وَعَنْ أُمِّ سَلَمَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَنْهَا أُمِّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أُمِّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَفْوًا قَالَتْ كُنْتُ عِنْدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَعِنْدَهُ مَيْمُونَ Maymunatu, this is another typo, there should be two dots on the, uh, on the, the, uh, the last letter of Maymunah, it's a tamar buta, not a ha. فَأَقْبَلَ بْنُ أُمِّ مَكْتُومٍ وَذَلِكَ بَعْدَ أَنْ أُمِرْنَ بِالْحِجَابِ فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ اَحْتَجِبَا مِنْهُ فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أَلَيْسَ هُوَ أَعْمَى لَا يُبْصِرُنَا وَلَا يَعْرِفُنَا فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ 
أفعميواني أنتما ألستما تبصرانه رواه أبو داود والترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح سيدتنا أمي سلمة رضي الله تعالى عنها the mother of the believers she said that I was with the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and Maymuna the mother of the believers رضي الله تعالى عنها was with him as well and when the, so the two of them were together uh, with the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and uh, Ibn Ummi Maktoum who is uh, a, a companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who was blind, uh, he entered in. Uh, he entered into the room, and so Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam told both of his wives to take the hijab, and uh, uh, and to to screen themselves from him. And so uh, Umm Salama radiallahu taala anha said, "O Messenger of Allah, isn't he blind? He he's not able to see us, nor does he even know that we're in the room until and unless uh, you know." Someone indicates to him that we're in the room. Uh, and the Prophet وسلم, resp- responded by saying, What, are you blind as well? Don't you see him? Uh, 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 and it's narrated by Abu Dawood and uh, Tirmidhi. Uh, and this also shows about uh, about what? Just the fact that, that somebody else is in the room, even if they don't see, even if the person, that person is blind, they don't see you. The fact that you see them is also sufficient that uh, that, that you should. Uh, take some precaution uh, uh, with regards to this matter. وعن سيدنا أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا ينظر الرجل إلى عورة الرجل ولا المرأة إلى عورة المرأة ولا يفضل الرجل إلى الرجل في ثوب واحد ولا تفضل المرأة إلى المرأة في الثوب الواحد رواه مسلم Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that a man shouldn't look at the, uh, the nakedness of another man. Obviously, the idea of this hadith is that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum by this point understood that a man shouldn't look at the nakedness of a woman. He's telling them on top of that that a man shouldn't look at the nakedness of another man, nor should a woman look at the nakedness of another woman, nor should a man uh, and, and a woman uh, sleep under the same cover the idea being without clothes on. Uh, neither should, nor should a man sleep under the same cover with another man, uh, nor should a woman sleep uh, uh, under uh, the same cover or blanket uh, uh, with another woman. So again, this, this, last, this last pronouncement is without clothes on. If, if people are clothed and, clothed and there's a need to share a blanket, then alhamdulillah, mashallah, we don't have to go through poverty like that. But uh, uh, the the idea is that without clothes on, they cannot share the same the same cover. This hadith is this hadith is like I guess, especially for living in America. Uh, how, how many of you went to public school? Yeah. So this whole weird shower locker room, this and that type of thing. I was telling these guys, mashallah, uh, um, that. When I was going to middle school and high school, we didn't have like like scholars. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense to you or not. But like, we just we didn't. We just had like uncles giving the Jum'ah khutbah. Nobody knew anything about fiqh. Uh, people uh, people claimed that they did probably knew less than the people who didn't. And a lot of people just don't know these things. It's completely haram. You cannot like just change in the locker room in front of people and things like that. Um, and uh, the ill effect and the evil effect of that. On the society is very clear. It's very clear because what people become desensitized to those types of things, and uh, uh, you know the the evil effect on a person is very clear. It's and it's a number of things. Homosexuality is just one of them. It's in a number of things. The fact that people, uh, you know, when a human being sees another human being like that with unclothed. Uh, it's part of the angelic nature of a human being to be clothed. And it's part of the animal-like nature of a human being to be unclothed. It causes you to lose respect for other human beings. When a man and a woman see each other unclothed, then the context of their seeing each other becomes very different than when they see each other clothed. Uh, and just like that, when a, a man sees another man unclothed, if you see the person in their animal, animalistic state, you behave with them as an animal behaves with another animal. Uh, you, you don't, uh, it doesn't engender respect inside of the heart. 
whereas uh, people should treat each other with respect. That's how civilization and society works. Uh, the law of the jungle is uh, a law of pure competition, uh, where you have to eliminate the, the, the competition in order to survive. Uh, and that mindset isn't good. That's why even I, it's, it's haram, like people show pictures of weird, like mangled bodies from war and from famine and from these types of things. And you'll notice that in this country, they'll never show the corpse of a white man. They will never show the mangled corpse of a white man. In fact, the the Iraq War, they had this. They had a New York Times photojournalist took a picture just of coffins being loaded into a into an airplane, and uh, the, the 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 government had like a, a huge like they were really upset about that. Why did you show this? I'm not talking about the bodies. I'm talking about what? Just the coffins. Uh, why? Because. You're not supposed to associate death and 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 uh, uh, the ability to get hurt or mortality or these types of things with what with Americans. That's for other people. Why? Because once you see the the dead body, it becomes something like the hurma, the 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 sacredness of of crossing that line. It becomes uh, destroyed, and uh, it, it causes people to lose respect and lose heba and awe uh, of you, and. This is something that's in line with the teaching of Dean. Perhaps not the idea of, you know, the, 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 the coffins itself, but showing the bodies of people. People circulate these kind of Facebook videos. Astaghfirullah, look what's happening with our brothers and sisters overseas. And they show mangled bodies and these types of things. These are bad. Don't look at them. Don't watch them. Don't forward them. Uh, you, should, you know, people say, well, Sheikh, I'm doing it to spread awareness. Okay, all of us, mashallah, have common sense. If someone tells you, like, 35 people were killed in a place, you know, the way you honor those people is to tell yourself this isn't a number. These are people who are uh, people who said La ilaha illallah and they're the beloved people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I should feel bad about that. You can conjure up that, that uh, you, you, sorry, you can, you can make that, uh, summon that, that feeling and make it present inside of your heart without having to see the person's dead body. Uh, uh, so uh, this is, I mean, there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of ill effect of, of this. Um, in, in, in terms of how it causes people to treat one another afterward. So people should have some haya. Men should have haya from other men, and women should have haya from other women, and men and women should definitely have haya from one another. Uh, uh, you'll notice this in, in Muslim society. Um, mashallah, many of, our, many of our even less educated uh, brothers and sisters are very avid to point out that wearing hijab is, is fard on women. Um, and so what happens is that the ladies are the ones that represent Islam in public, whereas the brothers, they'll put on a thobe to go to Juma, and otherwise it's just undercover brother for the rest of the week. Uh, you'll notice this. If you look at the traditional culture of Muslims uh, all over the world, from one side of, from one side of Darul Islam until, until the other and everything in the middle, Muslim men traditionally never left the house without their uh, their heads covered. They never left the house. Basically, what, what is hijab? The aura of a woman is that everything should be covered except for her face and her hands. Muslim men traditionally never left the house without their uh, without leaving uncovered anything but the face and hands. Every culture, every culture you'll see that. It's, you know, the exceptions for that are like laborers, the farmers working the field while they're working the field. When, they, when they're done and they go to the masjid, uh, in pre-modern... Uh, in pre-modern times, you won't see it's not it's considered it's not considered a respectable thing for a man to walk with his uh, head uncovered in public. Um, why? It's because of it's because of you know the ideas that are mentioned in this hadith that unfortunately are not so uh, well known anymore. Tahrimul ghibati wal amru lisan. So the first limb we talked about of the heart was the basar, the 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 vision. The next limb we talk about is the tongue. So one might say, how is the tongue affecting the heart? The tongue is, 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 is sending stuff out. You can understand the vision is like a, a sense, it's a sensory input. The idea is that the tongue, everything that the tongue says, right? Like, you know how when you CC somebody on an email, everything that the tongue says, a CC of it is, is sent, sent, sent to the heart as well. And so it has an effect. And it's also considered limb of the heart in the sense that it has effect on the heart. Everything the tongue says, you may feel that it's going out, but it's it's uh, it's affecting you 
in a more complete way than it affects other people because other people may or may not hear you and they may or may not listen. In fact, most people won't listen. <laughs> a lot of people will probably hear. Most people won't listen to anything you have to say. But, uh, but the, the one that you can be sure is listening is your own heart. قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَاكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا فَكَرِهْتُمُوهُ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hujurat, which is a surah in, in which many fine adab are discussed, uh, many fine etiquettes and, and, and qualities of, of, of the conduct of people of good character are discussed. Uh, Allah Most High says, uh, let not some of you backbite others. Uh, do you, would you like to eat the, the dead flesh of your brother? Uh, of course you would dislike it. And fear Allah Ta'ala. Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is the one who accepts repentance and the one who is most merciful. Uh, and so the riba which, is, riba, which is backbiting, which is to say about your uh, brother or your sister, the thing that they wouldn't like said, said about them. And riba has to do with things that are true. It will be mentioned later on. Lying about a person is a different sin. Riba is about things that are true. Lying about somebody is a completely different sin. Uh, but riba is mentioning something that's true about, about another person, but they wouldn't like mentioned about them. People say, well, it's the truth. You know, I don't care, I'd say it to their face. Saying something insulting to someone's face is a different sin. It's also haram. It doesn't, just because you, 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 you have the potentiality to commit that sin doesn't mean that, that, that riba is, is permissible. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, there are many people who have taken riba not to be a sin anymore. In fact, the idea that people don't think it's bad is in itself a sin worse than actually the riba itself, the, the, the backbiting itself. And Allah Ta'ala be our, our aid and our assistance. If a person, you know, some of these habits are very difficult to, for a person to extricate themselves from. And if you find difficulty in extricating yourself from this sin, at least once you're in the middle of it, you've been making riba for the last 45 minutes of somebody or some groups of people, then at minute 45, once you realize, oh my God, this is haram, then just stop. Just change the subject, get up, leave, do whatever you need to to stop doing that. But I assure you, it's very haram. It's, it's, it's very haram, but because culturally it's not offensive. Like if I walked into the masjid with a beer, everybody would be, oh, backbiting a person is actually a sin worse than that. Um, and this is not an endorsement of walking into the masjid with a beer. It is horrible. People should freak out if it happens. They should also, uh, you know, if, the, if they freaked out every time someone back, back bit another person like that, then the world would be a better place. Uh, uh, so if you realize, even if no one else tells you, if you realize that, that, that you're doing that, then it's just time to, it's time to stop. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى وَلَا تَقْفُ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ إِنَّ السَّمْعَ وَالْبَصَرَ وَالْفُؤَادَ كُلُّ أُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولًا Again, uh, um, uh, this ayah is repeated that Allah Most High says, don't follow, uh, don't follow things that you have no knowledge about. Indeed, the hearing and the sight and the heart, all of these things, will be asked about on the, on the Day of Judgment. Literally, you have to take responsibility for them. And the word mas'uliyah is the word in Arabic for responsibility. You'll be responsible for all of these things. And don't just be like, well, I'm a good person, I don't rob a bank, I, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that, and then think that you know, what happens with your tongue and with your, 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 your senses are, are not going to be asked about. Uh, and Allah Most High says, مَا يَلْفَظُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ عَتِيدٌ that uh, I mean, the word lafav, the word lafav is the word in Arabic meaning the uttered word, the spoken word. Not spoken word, although that spoken word is a type of this spoken word. But the word when it's spoken, right? Lafav is the word when it's spoken, not the word that's written. Lafav <laughs> yalfavu uh, uh, means what in Arabic? Lafav yalfavu means in Arabic to throw something. Meaning what? It's the idea that you think about when you speak something, you're, it's projecting outward. And also, you know, we then learn from the sunnah that it comes in, inside as well. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Qaf that a person doesn't throw out any speech except for there's a, 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 an angel that's 
vigilantly watching over you and taking note of every single thing that you say. Nawi rahimahullah says with regards to speech. He says with regards to speech, I'lam annahu yanbaghi laka yanbaghi laka mukallafin an yahfaza lisanahu an jami' al-kalam illa kalaman zaharat fihi al-maslahatu wa mata stawa al-kalam wa tarkuhu fi al-maslahati fa sunnatu al-imsak 'anhu li'annahu qad yanjaru al-kalam المباح إلى حرام أو مكروه وذلك كثير في العادة والسلامة لا يعدلها شيء. so Nawi rahimullah taala he he uh, he brings a very perhaps like a culturally alien concept to us um, but it's both tasawuf and fiqh and it's also hikmah all at the same time. he says know that it is incumbent upon you you as a, a person who is morally responsible for w- what they do in front of Allah Ta'ala, to uh, uh, protect and guard your tongue from uh, all speech except for that speech in which, uh, in which the benefit is obvious. So, meaning what? You know, for example... Right, sending, uh, you know, because speech here, kalam, the word kalam here is, it's am, it's general, it's not like what the Nahwi say that just a spoken word, it, here the word kalam means all sorts of speech and communication, including your posts on Facebook and WhatsApp and God knows what, right? Um, he says what? He says that know that it is incumbent upon you as a morally responsible person in front of Allah Ta'ala to save your tongue from all sorts of speech except for that speech in which the benefit is obvious. So forwarding a cat video, uh, 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 you know, to like 300 people on WhatsApp, as funny as it may be, um, by this schema, does is it a thing that a person should do or not? Probably not. If you're, you know, it's one thing, okay, fine, one might say, one might make the argument, okay, no, I sent it to my uh, sister and she was having a bad day, or, you know, my children, this is the time I spend with them in order to, you know, like family time and whatever. Okay, in those cases, then it's fine, then do it. But just like the impulse a person has, like, ah, this is funny, I'm going to forward it to everyone I know, right? That's, that's, that's what, that's not, that's against, in fiqh it may not be haram, but from the point of view of tasawwuf, in terms of your 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 heart keeping your heart clean, uh, uh, it's not a good idea. Remember, we talked about this last time. Who was here last time? Right? We talked about this idea last time that that the haram is like poison. Any amount of it, it will harm you, and relatively small amounts of it can kill you. The halal is like. Uh, the halal is like a, a, a medicine. It helps you when administered in a proper dose. If too much of it is taken, it will also kill you. So the idea is what? People oftentimes, because they're untrained in matters of tasawuf. And when I say matters of tasawuf, I'm not saying like make zikr for like, you know, 10 hours a day until you can fly. And that's what people think about when they think about tasawuf, oftentimes. I'm talking about what this is like. This is these are hadith of the Prophet They're very clear in their indication, and and these are the basic shuruhat of uh, and the explanations of those hadith. What is Nawawi saying, Rahimullah Taala? He says it's clear from all of the hadith, and he's a he's a he's a master of hadith. His uh, his uh, what you call uh, uh, commentary on Sahih Muslim is the one that, that, that they use in the madars in the subcontinent uh, to, learn, uh, uh, to learn Muslim from. It's literally from all of the sihasitta, the only commentary that you'll find in the madrasa that wasn't written by Hanafi on all of the, the, the six, books of, six books of hadith. Which means what? It's a pretty good book. Because nobody, nobody will shop at the competition and tell them unless they have a product that's like, you know, even more superior to what they have. Uh, by a non non uh, 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 inconsequential amount, so Nawawi rahimullah taala, who is this hadith expert? What is he saying? He's saying it's very clear if you read the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
that that uh, uh, that you're just keep your mouth shut. Don't talk. Don't communicate with people until and unless what the benefit is clear. It's clear that there's like a, a, a benefit to your dunya and or your deen uh, in in saying this thing that you're about to say. Uh, and and he says he says something else is very interesting. He says that when the benefit in the harm, uh, sorry, when the benefit in saying something and the benefit in not saying something are equal, he says the sunnah even in that case is not to say anything. Why? Because uh, uh, because as a habit, a person knows everybody knows how. You can start with permissible speech and it drags a person into speech that's impermissible. How many times has a person like, you know, cracked a joke, which is not haram or not objectionable. And then the next person who's sitting there who may not be as, mashallah, erudite and and, uh, discerning in their speech as you, they say something and they just completely cross the line and you're like, oh, you know, like they just completely ruin the entire, uh, ruin the entire majlis. And that feeling happens only to people who are attuned to, uh, attuned to what the difference between halal and haram is in the first place. Uh, people who are not, then they don't they don't feel anything different because their heart was dead in the first place. But the idea is what if speaking and not and not speaking the benefit in both of them or the potential benefit in both of them is equal or similar, then the sunnah is what even in that case not to say anything. Why? Because uh, uh, because it's it's a person a person many or people in, in their general experience they know that 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 so often permissible speech will drag a person into speech which is haram or which is detestable uh, uh, and and he says this like last little sentence rahimahullah taala um, which is great it's wonderful and it's from hikmah and it's from a type of hikmah that seems to be kind of missing from 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 uh, our our mindset this is salamatu la ya'diluha shay'un right being safe being safe there's nothing nothing rivals it safety is wonderful and so we are i mean this is this is another presentation that i give in the context of aqidah we live in a time when people are like oh you only live once or people who are uh, uh less Eloquent say things like YOLO, right? Uh, and people want to change everything for the sake of changing it. And something that's revolutionary is revolutionary. If someone's like, this product is revolutionary, is that a good thing or a bad thing? What is it? Generally, how do not, you guys are, you guys know that this guy's setting me up for a trick question, right? But the average person on the street, if you ask them, this is a revolutionary product. This coffee is revolutionary, right? What, what is it? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? That this is progress. This is, you know, this is really progressive. And, uh, you know, they use all these kind of words that really have no meaning whatsoever. Revolutionary could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. What if you have a nice government? Then revolutionary is horrible. The Communist Party is going to take over tomorrow and khair, almost anything would be better than what we have right now. But like, imagine we had a good government and then the Communist Party was going to take over, right? Then revolution is a bad thing. Revolutionaries, then it's a bad thing, right? You're, uh, you know, like the, whatever, the, the Nazi Party is going to, you know, Hitler is going to become the whatever... He's going to go tomorrow and become the chancellor and day after tomorrow he's going to become the Fuhrer. And then all of us have to march in these stupid rallies with armbands and, you know, one with a swastika and the other with a Star of David. Maybe if we were there, they'd have a crescent on them or whatever. Things just really went south really quickly. Why? Because of something that was revolutionary. What is progress, right? If you're at the edge of a cliff, is progress good? No. It depends on where you are. Progress could be good. Right, so we're going from Dallas to Houston, and we're making progress. Okay, that's good. We're going from Dallas to Houston because the death sentence was was uh, pronounced over us, and that's where the electric chair is. Okay, then progress is a bad thing. Progress is a really bad thing. They're going to kill you. No, you don't want progress in that case. These are terms that are completely neutral in their indication. 
but there's an underlying aqidah or philosophy because you you know just because you didn't take the aqidah class doesn't mean you have no aqidah, right? This is the underlying aqidah of the, the 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 society that we live in. Undermine every single type of authority and embrace every single type of change. Uh, and that that aqidah has to do with what? It has to do with uh, an inherent rebelliousness that's there in iblis who doesn't want to accept what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So you'll see in every single strand of kufr, you'll see that this, re- this type of rebelliousness is glorified. Islam encourages rebellion when the authority is wrong. That's the exception, not the rule. Why? Because whose authority is absolute? Allah ta'ala. This is a difference that postmodern Europe and, uh, the, the, and the civilization and the aqidah of Islam has. The postmodern Europe views authority as inherently evil, whereas Islam views authority as what? As inherently good. There's benefit in it. When it's yielded improperly, that's the exception, it's not the rule. And the idea is this, is that, that one, of the, one of the benefits in the system that's handed down to you, the default state, the state of being safe, is that you will only go from being safe to unsafe in general by changing things. By doing things. So a person should think twice and be very conservative in steps that they take. I'm myself the last person to preach about this. This is just an academic topic that I'm teaching you. The concepts of, you may see that I'm the most impetuous person of them all. That's why, because I'm also born and raised here, I can put on as big of a turban as I want to, but the society has an effect on all of us. However, this is the, 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 the mashaykh, what they taught us, and it makes sense. It makes sense. It's a salamatu la yadiluhu shay'un. That 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 being safe, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Uh, there's no there's no benefit in rocking the boat if you're in a good you're in a good uh, condition in a good position. Think twice, three times, ten times before doing something to change that. Think twice, three times, ten times before opening your mouth. These are habits, mashallah. Once a person has them in the beginning, to restrain yourself is very difficult. Once you make the habit of thinking before opening your mouth, mashallah, it's wonderful. My wife, used, my wife, just before coming, you know, uh, leaving for the airport a couple of days ago, uh, she asked me. She asked me, "When did you start? When did you start? Uh, uh, you know, uh, teaching things." I said, man, I used to give khutbah and bayan before I went to madrasa even. I used to, like, for like two years, I used to give Jummah khutbah regularly. I said, the enjoyment that I had in, in giving the Jummah khutbah before having learned anything, I never found it again after having learned. The, the enjoyment, it was wonderful. I used to, it was exhilarating. It was a rush. Now I'm completely freaked out before it's time to speak. And I think about everything before I say it. And then afterward, uh, I said, oh my God, I said that. You know, someone could take it the wrong way, or maybe it's not completely right. There's an exception to this, there's an exception to that. It's become like a torture now. It's no longer enjoyable. Why? Because you have to think before you say, and think while you're saying, and think after you say. And then even then, you wonder, you know, was there benefit in this, or was there not benefit in it? Um, uh, there, you know, why? Because it's salamatul la You always take a risk once you open your mouth. So mashallah, all of you, uh, mashallah, brothers and sisters, especially the younger ones, uh, I'm not a fan of people having profile pics with them standing behind a podium or with a mic in their hand. It's okay to stay quiet. Mashallah, Mufti, Mufti Taqi Uthmani, who's the, 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 the chief justice of the Sharia court, and his brother, uh, Mufti Rafi'uddin, were, who is the, 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 the Grand Mufti of the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Both of them, when they graduated, their sheikh said, after graduating from madrasa, I put a ban on you for 10 years, you can't give a speech anywhere. And now, mashallah, we have some people who did like a weekend course or like a month-long intensive Arabic course. And the funny thing is they don't even know Arabic, uh, but <laughs> they did like some month-long course or, uh, you know, some sort of workshop. Uh, for speaker training, and now, mashallah, their profile pic has them standing behind a mic, looking slicked up, and it literally says for, like, speaking engagements, contact this, that, and the other thing. This is this is a sign of being completely bankrupt. I'm not saying that person is going to hell or they're an evil person. Maybe if they sat in the dars and they learned that, they would say, you know, they would be the first one to accept it. But people are in different stages. That person is not in a stage that 
that you're going to benefit anything from. And there's a great harm in that. There's an extreme harm in that. Uh, uh, and you'll see that you'll see that the, that our tradition is what it's not a tradition of just you know put, putting people out there and and whatnot and people literally they put their names forward in order to be on like the khatib list. This is like if a person wants to give the khutbah, not only is it haram for them to khutbah, give the khutbah, it's actually a sign that that person should be barred from giving the khutbah. It's like open and shut. It's open and shut case. It's that that person should be barred from it. Why? Because this in, in and of itself, it's a sign that, that, that these conditions for correct speech are not being met. Uh, uh, and, you know, we, you know, our complaint is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I understand there are places that, like, there's nobody to give the khutbah, that's fine. But, like, for example, they, I think maybe I mentioned this last, last time I was here as well, but uh, since there are, there are some faces that, that I didn't recognize from last time, you know, there's like a like a, a a story about a certain hospital somewhere that uh, you know someone was dying, and the surgeon wasn't there, and they were about to pass. And the janitor says, "Hey, I saw the surgery done like a hundred times. I know exactly how to do it." And they're like, "What the heck?" And they let him do it, and then the janitor actually saves that person's life. Okay, that happens sometimes. There are people who have to give the jama khutbah like that. Okay. This doesn't mean you make the janitor like the chief of surgery and then after that he tries like 20 other surgeries and then you, you, you know, and then we say that the next, the next uh, surgeon we're going to train, let him be a janitor also and just observe while he's sweeping up and then we'll give him a shot. That, you understand what I'm saying? Don't focus on the exception. Exceptions exist. Think about the rule. You'll get much more benefit. There's much more baraka in the rule than there is in the exception. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, that's the model that we've we've kind of chosen. The model, the model is what the ulama warathatul anbiya send, you know, people from your community to go study, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty years, and then they'll, you know, if you have people in the pipeline when they come, they'll be ready to give the khutbah properly. In the meanwhile, then you know you have to get by the way you have to get by, and this is something actually in this Dallas area, the the uh, imam. Uh, uh, the the former imam from Richardson, the Sheikh uh, Yusuf Kawakchi, he used to do that. I mean, I remember when in 2000 when I was studying in Syria, I remember back in those days the idea of like, going overseas to study the Deen was like, oh wow, this is like this new thing. Even though this is like as old as our tradition is, but for us in America, it seemed like a very new and different thing. I remember going to going to Sham and seeing students from Dallas. Who said, "Oh yes, the Imam of our Masjid. He, you know, he taught us this, that, and the other thing. And then he said, go to the Muslim world and study with the ulama and come back.' So there are people who, you know, tried putting that system in place. Uh, uh, you know, we should, we should go with it. It works, alhamdulillah, and not try to rock the boat because as-salamu la ya'dilu hashayun. وعن سيدنا أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ما كان من كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر it's a snippet of a longer hadith from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah uh, 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 from the Prophet وسلم, who said, whoever believes in Allah and in the last day, let them say uh, uh, good or let them be silent. So yes, Thumper ripped off the Prophet And because Walt Disney was an atheist and his body is in a freezer right now because he thinks they're going to cure death that one day and then thaw him out and he'll live forever, which I find very creepy. Uh, Thumper elected not to talk about Allah in the last day, but he just says, whoever, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. It's actually a hadith. Uh, 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 But don't cut out Allah and the Yom Qiyamah from it. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense because why should a person not say anything at all? When saying the most absurd and horrible things will get you elected president and like rich and famous and all of these other things. If you don't believe in Allah and the, the Yom Qiyamah, it doesn't make any sense that a person should follow that advice. وهذا الحديث الصريح في أنه ينبغي أن لا يتكلم إلا إذا كان الكلام خيرا وهو الذي ظهرت مصلحته ومتى شك في ظهور المصلحة فلا يتكلم And so Nawawi rahimullah ta'ala he again says in comment about this hadith uh, uh, bringing up a point that he made earlier that this hadith is explicit uh, uh, in showing that it it's not proper uh, uh, for a person to speak except for when the speech is good, when there's some benefit in it. 
um, and, and it's the thing that uh, uh, it's the thing that the the benefit is is clear in. And when a person has any doubt, when a person has any doubt as to whether there's benefit or not, then a person just shouldn't say anything, right? If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. It's different than saying don't say bad things. Don't say bad things is to negate what's in the middle between good and bad. Here, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam literally saying, if it's not good, just don't say it. Just close your mouth. Uh, and that's why, mashallah, the people in the Muslim world, everything they say is like peppered with dhikr. Inshallah, mashallah, which many of us, you know, like now, inshallah means I'm not going to do it and I'm going to blame Allah Ta'ala, right? But, uh, and, and mashallah, like, what do you think you're better than me? And, but, but these things had an actual original meaning that was different than that. And it was the idea that if you can, if you have to talk to one another, if you can at least like, you know, pepper, pepper the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala in your speech, then hopefully the khair in it, because of the divine name being mentioned, uh, it, will, it will justify your having opened your mouth. But, uh, uh, but again, it's, the hadith is very clear. وَأَنْ سَيْنَا أَبِي مُوسَى الْأَشْعَرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ قَالَ قُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَيُّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ أَفْضَلُ قَالَ مَنْ سَلِمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مِنْ لِسَانِهِ وَيَدِهِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ MashaAllah. Sayyidina Abu Musa al-Ash'ari رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ He said, uh, I, I said, O Messenger of Allah, which of the Muslims is the best? He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the person that the other Muslims are safe from his tongue and from his hand. So MashaAllah, most of the people in this room seem like nice people. They don't walk around slapping and beating up others. Allah knows best, but... You know, that's what it seems like. However, I'm sure everybody has seen, if not participated in posts that like hack other people down and make fun of them and mock them and jeer them and things like that. You can make your point, like even even if this, this class is, you know, horrible or whatever, you can make your point without having to like say this person is bad, that person is bad. Your discussions and dis- disagreements with other people should be with ideas, not with personalities. So, uh, you know, don't forward things, hacking down other people, mocking other people. Yes? When there's so much idle talk nowadays, and we, we obviously also partake in it, how do you separate yourself from that consciously and still be able to interact in, uh, with society and do the things you need to do? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, look, if you're a business, if you're a businessman and you sell things in order to make a living, then that matter the amount of small talk you have to make in order to sell is falls into the khair. After 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 whatever that is, but everyone knows what it is. It's the same thing. The idea is that the concept of dunya and the deen is not every material thing. If it was every material thing, then the most virtuous thing to do would be like what like Jainism teaches, that you strip off all your clothes, walk into the forest, and starve yourself to death. Right? They consider that a noble act. Whoever does that is like, like a shaheed or whatever in their, in their tradition. Right? Um, so, no, there's a part of, there's a part of mater- the material world which is part of your deen, and that line is different for every person. Some people get by with less, some people need more. If you have a family of 10 children, you may have to, you know, earning $100,000 a year may be zuhud for you. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're not, if you don't have, you're not in that circumstance and you may be able to get by with $10,000 a year and the rest of it is just like your desire for material things. So whatever the line is, you have to examine your own life, make mashra with ulama, etc., etc. You know, whatever is beneficial, then do it. And then after that, stop. And this is one of the reasons that the, the path of Rasulullah is more precarious than that of the people from before us. Because it's easier to cut yourself off. Completely. It's hard to engage and then stop when you have to stop. Because the line is not 100% clear. This is one of the, 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 the brilliant and genius discourses of the ulama. One of the ulama said regarding Sayyidah Aisha ta'ala anha. That her fadila is greater than that of the mother of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, Maryam alayhi salam. Why? Because she was the Virgin Mary. Right? Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away when she was 18 years old. What's more difficult to live the entire life afterward, after having, having been married, 
not just married, but married to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you will not find in the athar a single complaint she ever uttered about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam or afterward that I have no husband now. Imagine somebody, I mean, people think, well, oh, she's the wife of the Prophet so she has to keep decorum. She was such a person, even Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu used to not open his mouth in front of her. Uh, uh, if she gave a judgment that overruled his, he would usually just acquiesce to what she has to say. People who get their way generally, they don't, they, they don't filter what they say. They say whatever they want to and it's done, right? This is a sign of her virtue. It's difficult, but it's a sign of her virtue, what, that... She never, uh, you know, she never uh, uh, complained or said anything. It's more difficult to leave something after have, having had it than, uh, 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 than avoiding something that you never uh, got into in the first place. Uh, you know, if you've ever met an alcoholic before, for example, right? Alhamdulillah, by Allah's fadl, we, uh, you know, most of us at least were born into Islam. So we never, we never had an occasion to drink or to, you know, forget about any other drugs. Forget, forget about any of them. Just alcohol itself. If you meet an alcoholic, alcoholics ate alcohol more than, more than, more than people who don't drink. But what? Once you're stuck inside of it to give it up, it's like a, it's like they literally they say it's like a demon. It, it completely follows you wherever you go. Uh, 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 the stories are completely ridiculous to the point where it won't let a person go, even no matter how much they kick and scream to leave it. Leaving it after having been through it is much more difficult than not going into it in the first place, which also lines up with "Assalamu la yadilu hashayun." But but yeah, it, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult path for sure. But that's what the the path is chalked out for us by Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. The last uh, hadith in the chapter before we take a, a break, inshallah. وعن سيدنا عن سيدنا سهل بن سعد رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من يضمن لي ما بين لحيه وما بين رجليه أضمن له الجنة متفق عليه and it's a good segue into the next chapter inshallah سيدنا سهل بن سعد السعدي رضي الله تعالى عنه he said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said Whoever guarantees to me what is between their, their, their two jawbones, meaning what? The tongue. Whoever guarantees for me what's between the two jawbones and what's between their two legs, meaning their private parts, that those things are not abused. If you can get through life, uh, 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 if you can get through life and guarantee that those two things are, you don't abuse them. I say, I can guarantee for that person Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us. Al-Huda wa al-Afaf wa al-Ghina and give us give us inshallah these matters wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in it's not the end of the chapter but we'll take the break anyway inshallah so 10 minutes it's what 11.35 so we'll start up again 11.45 inshallah barakallahu feekum